A reading from 2 Chronicles chapter 7, verses 11 to 16. When Solomon had finished the temple of the Lord and the royal palace, and had succeeded in carrying out all he had in mind to do in the temple of the Lord and in his own palace, the Lord appeared to him at night and said, I have heard your prayer and have chosen this place for myself as a temple for sacrifices. When I shut up the heavens so that there is no rain, or command locusts to devour the land, or send a plague among my people, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sin and heal their land. Now my eyes will be open and my ears attentive to the prayers offered in this place. I have chosen and consecrated this temple so that my name may be there forever. My eyes and my heart will always be there. Thanks for reading that for us, Kathy. Um, And I I will just ask everyone at home, if you can, have a Bible out. If you have one nearby, pull it out. Have it near you. It's part of just creating a space of worship for us wherever we are. Like, it's really helpful just to have the text open so you can look at it as we reflect on it. Like Kathy read, we're in 2 Chronicles 7. Maybe you've never read 2 Chronicles before. You might have to look it up in the index. Look it up. Have this in front of you as we reflect on this together. And as I'm about to kind of dive into this passage Kathy just read for us, I would love for us to have a time and moment where we just pray and invite God to speak. So will you pray with me? God, we invite you into this moment. We invite you into this moment to speak to us through your word and your truth. Your word says that your word will not return void. So I just ask that, Lord, you would would unite us with what you're saying in this passage and draw us into your presence and what you just make clear what you would have us do in response to this. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be holy and pleasing to you. Amen. Yesterday was a good day. It ended up being, but I found myself dragging a lot yesterday. I don't know what yesterday was like for many of you. I'm thinking of one of the rainiest days that we had in a while, and it was just so grim in a way, but it also was such a gift. It was such a gift because it was the rain that we really needed. We were having concerns about fires around, around the area in Alberta, and we really needed the rain. I'm looking at my garden in the back and wanting to set it up well, and it needed that water. It needed that nourishment. And it was just this right-timed thing, as maybe many of you were getting ready to do some gardening in the back of your homes, where you start to realize like the water comes when we need it. The life comes when we need it. It is beautiful. I look at this day outside. It is beautiful. But it comes in God's timing when we need it. And you look at this whole year, and as much as it's been probably difficult to feel this way or lean in this way, there has been an opportunity here and an invitation to you and to me. And it is to seek God's face. As Jesse mentioned We're starting a new series this morning, and it's through a couple of the next few weeks where we want to dedicate our lives and our time and our focus and energy towards this invitation to seek God's face because God has something specific for us if we can do this. Far beyond anything that the world has to offer us, 
far beyond any promises, any powers, any comforts. And the reality is that we have to deal with the fact that many of us are pretty distracted. That many of us would take the uh, temporary ease of whatever sort of pain or anxiety we might be feeling over something that will last forever, over something that will bring true and real joy. We're taking substitutes for something that we actually need for life and vitality. In Deuteronomy 4, which is not a passage we're going to look at a lot this morning, but it says this about this theme of seeking my face. But if from there you seek the Lord your God, you will find him if you seek him with all your heart and your soul. You will find him if you seek him with all your heart and all your soul. So how do we do this? Yes, all your heart, all your soul. Well, it really actually becomes a conversation of worship. And worship isn't just what our team led us in and worship this morning. Worship is an expression of life, of faith and witness. It's an expression of what you think matters. I love one of my favorite books that reflects on this is You Are What You Love, James K.A. Smith. The whole book is written around this idea and concept that the way you live, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday, all those days, even the smallest moments are your acts of worship. They're all about worship. And whether you know it or not, whether these choices are intentional or not, they say what you love. They say what you value. They say what you actually think is important, whether it's a decision of what you have for breakfast today or how you wake up, how you spend time using your phone or how you don't use your phone. All these things are choices as an expression of worship. And all these things are either part of this response of seeking God's face or they hold us back. It's very tempting to seek your own pleasure or power, like I've said. But pleasure is just for a moment because it's gone the next. And power, if you're seeking your own power, it's often going to come at the cost of someone else. And it leads to a mess. None of these ways provides answers or purpose, only distractions from the pain. So then the question for us, you might want to ask yourself this morning is, have I really sought God with all of myself? Am I really seeking God with all of myself? And what would it look like for me to actually do this? If I actually want to approach this week and the next couple weeks differently, how would I do this? We're going to have a few weeks here in preparation for what we do as a church, which is 24-7 prayer, a week of constant prayer, 24 hours a day. And we want you to be part of that. But we have to prepare our hearts for that. That's not something we can just easily do off the cuff. And we should know what it means to seek God's face and what God has promised he will do if we will follow him that way. Which is why we're looking in Second Chronicles, looking at these acts of worship in the Old Testament. You can learn worship from the Old Testament. Maybe the Old Testament is not where you always go when you want to think about worship. But there is a lot of incredible, beautiful things here. So the passage Kathy read for us, 2 Chronicles 7, comes after some pretty important things. So I want to at least help us know what's going on before this. 2 Chronicles is a historical book. What that means is that there are historical books in the Bible telling the story of the people of God. And as we know, this story is one of God's promises, but also of God's people's failures. We're coming off a high point. We're coming off a high point where Israel finally has a king, David, and David is transferred over his kingship to his son, 
Solomon. Solomon is at the center of everything. And at the very beginning, when Solomon becomes king, he asked God for wisdom. You might know that. He asked God for wisdom. And God meets him in this and blesses him with wisdom, blesses this request, because he didn't just ask for the wealth of the world. He asked for wisdom. And then Solomon has this unique calling. Because the, Jerusalem has been built, the, the main primary city for God's people, but the temple hasn't been built. The temple must be built. And Solomon is the one to do this. So Solomon asks for wisdom and begins making all these preparations for building the temple. So if you look at the chapters leading up to this, there are a lot of incredible details of the work going on. Thousands and thousands of people being involved in building the temple. And finally, when it's all done, Solomon summons the people together in one great big festival with all the priests bringing in the Ark of the Covenant. They're consecrating themselves, setting themselves apart to be holy, setting this place apart to be holy. And there is resounding praise. The the Chronicles really emphasizes the musicians. It really emphasizes the singing, the trumpeteers. You might catch that as like little details in in the passage, but they're singing, he is good. His love endures forever. He is good. His love endures forever. This is the sound of the praise that they are singing. All of a sudden, the glory of God fills the whole temple. Fills the whole temple. There was even a service prepared in response to when this would happen, but they didn't anticipate it would happen. Actually, a cloud comes and fills the temple and interrupts anything that the people have planned. They can't move forward with what they had planned because the presence of God is in their midst. And then Solomon in this moment, he prays. And it is a dedication of the temple. And it describes all the things they're lifting up to God, saying, yes, Lord, will you do this? And after he concludes the prayer, fire falls from heaven. Again, the temple is filled with the glory of God. Solomon's prayer, if you look at it, it's worth looking at, but it's long. (laughs) It's a long prayer, but it's worth looking at. He describes how God will relate to the people, how he brought them to this moment, and that the temple, like them, will bear the name of the Lord. The temple, like them, will bear the name of the Lord. And then 13 years go by. There's a gap here. You don't necessarily see it when you read from chapter 6 to chapter 7, or really it's part of 7, in the middle of 7. But there's a gap where all this work is being done. God does this incredible thing, and then 13 years go by. How many prayers have you prayed that are these kind of prayers that 13 years later, they really mean something? See, after 13 years go by, let me read the first few verses of what we're looking at this morning. When Solomon had finished the temple of the Lord in the royal palace and had succeeded in carrying out all he had in mind to do in the temple of the Lord and in his own palace, the Lord appeared to him and said, I have heard your prayer and I have chosen this place for myself as a temple for sacrifices. God comes to Solomon when no one is looking 13 years later after this big public prayer and he comes back to him. This is the second time Solomon's experienced this. And so the question is, and I look at the way Solomon prayed this and wonder, so what did he do for 13 years? What was he praying about for 13 years? What was he doing for 13 years other than being king? But sometimes we expect an immediate response to what we pray. And while God responds and answers prayer, it's not often when and how we think he'll respond and answer. 
But I think about these kind of prayers, and I think, am I just willing to wait? Are the things that I'm praying about the ones that I'm willing to wait for? Are they that important? Are they just reflections of how I'm feeling in a day? Is there something more at work in my heart in what I pray and how I seek God in prayer? But in these verses, as we're going to look at this morning, God comes to Solomon and he says, I heard you. I've seen you. I was there when you prayed all these things, and I'm going to honor it. God's response in these verses really outlines his invitation to everyone who wants to follow him. Because what he affirms, he, he's actually saying how we can seek God in the midst of wherever we find ourselves, wherever you find yourselves in this year, in your life. He's saying how you can seek God. If we seek him, he says that he will bless us and he will bless us by forgiving our sins. He will bless us by, what he says is healing the land, bringing healing to us, the healing we actually need. And so, as I start to say this and present this, and I'm giving all this context so you know how to read and receive these words, he knows what's going on in your heart. He knows the prayers unspoken or spoken in your life. And just as he came to follow up Solomon after 13 years, he knows when to follow up with your prayers. He knows when to walk with you, to follow up with you, to come to you and invite you deeper into this time and this journey. The question is how, because if you receive these words, you, you feel, perhaps you feel prompted. How do I seek God's face? How do I seek God with all of myself? Because I do need healing or I do need forgiveness. I do need relief and hope in the midst of this time. How do I do this? Well, part of this is looking at the pathways in this invitation. What are the ways in which I could journey along this path and follow after God? What are the ways I say yes to this? And how do I actually do it? And so the first invitation is, is in this, these first few verses, and it says, Seek God's face by calling on his name in prayer. Seek God's face by calling on his name in prayer. Because what God is saying, this is God speaking to Solomon in response to what he's prayed. When I shut up the heavens, let me make sure I'm saying the right thing. When I shut up the heavens, so that there is no rain or command locusts to devour the land or send a plague upon my people, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face. If my people who are called by my name. The first verse there, when I shut up the heavens with no rain, command locusts to devour the land, a plague upon the people, he's actually anticipating the things he's going to have to do. He's actually saying, this is coming in front of you because even though I'm giving you every opportunity to follow me, there's going to be some serious missteps along the way. A drought in the land, you might recall Elijah, who's on prophetic ministry in the same land. You can think of Joel, you can think of Amos, you can think of Ezekiel. All these different times when locusts are called upon, our plagues are on the people of God. And God is saying that I will use these things. When these things are happening don't forget that I said they would happen and wake up. Wake up to the fact that I am moving in the world, that I will hold sin accountable to the darkness and destruction that happens in the world. He's saying, remember who you are when these things happen, that you are a people called by my name. He's saying something about the identity of the people. You are the people who have called out to me 
My name is in you. You are people who live in relationship with me. Does that describe us? Does that describe you? That I live in relationship to the living God? And do I seek him in prayer? If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray. This series is a focus on how this pursuit of seeking God's face, a lot of it is, a, is, is about this journey of prayer. And prayer, as I talk to people, is sometimes very comfortable in the sense that this is my heart language. Give me a space to pray. But for others, it's not. For other people, they don't feel as comfortable with prayer. And you should know if you feel that way, you're not alone. Prayer is not a place for the people who are great with words to pray. <laughs> but the people who are willing to get down on your knees. And that's not to say you have to get down on your knees to pray or not. But it's about the fact that I actually want to call out to God because I know he's listening. I know he cares about my relief. I know he cares about my desires. Calling out to prayer. It's not about composure and often it's desperation. Often it's about a true focus on what matters. God responds to prayer. If you miss anything going on in this passage as we reflect on it, hear this, that God is responding to prayer as he does respond to prayer. I want to read a quote from Tim Keller, and it's actually from a book that if you want to join in 24-7 prayer, you can sign up for a bag today on the website and receive this book. So if you like this quote, you really might want to look at this book. It's a wonderful resource for reflecting on prayer. It's called Prayer, Experiencing Awe and Intimacy with God. But hear this. Prayer is how God gives us so many of the unimaginable things he has for us. Indeed, prayer makes it safe for God to give us many of the things we most desire. It is the way we know God, the way we finally treat God as God. Prayer is, simple, is simply the key to everything we need to do and be in life. A lot of our problems honestly come from the fact that we fail to treat God as God. I mean, pretty much all of them. But then what God wants us to hear in prayer is that he is near us and he won't forsake us as we cry out to him, as we call upon the name that actually matters. It says in Psalm 9, and I love this. Um, we've, we're having some, some wonderful readings of scripture in the service. Psalm 9 says this, The Lord is a refuge for the oppressed, a stronghold in times of trouble. Those who know your name trust in you. For you, Lord, have never forsaken those who seek you. God hears you. He is with you. So seek him by calling upon his name in prayer. The next invitation is to seek God's face by humbling yourself. It's, just in, it's, in, the, it's, it's in this passage at the very core of it. Humility. Humility in the search. This is not something for everyone who has everything figured out. So if you feel like you have everything in life figured out, then you probably are not, this is probably not resonating with you. But if you don't have the answers, if you realize how weak you are, if you know how much you actually struggle on even a good day, then the invitation is to humble yourself, to start, stop asking like you, uh, acting like you are in complete control because you're not. Prayer takes on the path towards humility, and a life committed to prayer will also be dedicated to your own humbling a laying down of the pride and submitting to God and his will, submitting to what he has for you. You, may, you don't get to know what he has for you yet. If you do, that's incredible. 
but to submit to what God has for you because his plan is better. Because his blessing is better. His presence is better. Better than anything anyone can offer. (laughs) Submitting, knowing his will is better even before you know what it is. You cannot do this alone, operating like you're in control. And that's why I think it's incredible to think a king of a people at their high point is acting in complete humility. Now, that's not the full extent of Solomon's story, but in this moment, he is a humble king leading the people towards worship. The next invitation, seeking to humble yourself, calling up to God in prayer. Seek God, seek God's face through repentance. That's a big theme in this passage. We reflected on repentance and worship, what it looks like to reflect on our brokenness, but also to cry out to God for his mercy and his forgiveness. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves, pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sin and heal their land. These four ways described in these verses, praying, humbling, seeking, turning, they describe biblical repentance. These are the themes. These are the things that are about actual repentance. And prayer here, it's not just about what God can give you. If you think that's what prayer is, I feel like you've been misled. The prayer is about an acknowledgement of the sin, of the struggle, of the weakness, of crying out to God for mercy. And so then turning, the turning from the wicked ways mentioned here, the turning is a complete shift in direction, a complete shift of direction away from the sin and towards the face of God, towards the face of God. I, I think about these calls to repentance. And I've thought about it a lot this past year. I remember when the pandemic was happening and I, was, I felt very drawn to a passage in Joel 2 to preach about repentance. And it's just so difficult when it feels like the whole world has come down <laughs> on everyone and we feel disempowered, we feel lost. But at the same time, what's happening in our world is not just physical, it's not just social, it's not just political, it's spiritual that there is a war going on for our hearts. At the very same time, all these other terrible things are happening in the world. And they are like noise distracting us from the true journey, from the true true invitation. And I find myself, as I've had to like embrace these rooms, I need to repent of this. I need to turn away from this bad practice or this bad pattern. I find myself realizing that I actually can't do the turn without actually praying into this, without actually seeking God, without actually naming it, whether I have to write it down, whether I have to confess my sins to someone, or I just need to speak it in prayer to God. That we actually, I feel like God actually invites us to do something. That repentance is not just this internal, I'm just going to sit here and just think it through. It has to be expressive in some way. We actually have to say, no, I'm going to turn, and I'm going to do this, and I'm going to ask for this person to do accountability or I'm going to pray into this. I'm going to write it in my journal because we need a rhythm of repentance because otherwise we just forget that the battle is happening. You forget that no sin comes back around. (laughs) Whatever you might be tempted with, it comes back around. And so we must be willing to contend and say, no, Lord, you want something better for me and this is not part of that journey. So what is the result? 
of seeking God's face in all this. Because God's coming to Solomon after he's prayed. What's so interesting is that this prayer, that's like this, this response in a few verses is actually summing up the whole prayer that Solomon prays for the temple. It's summing up everything. He's basically saying, I heard you. You, asked, you mentioned all these things that could happen, things like locusts, things like plagues. I hear you. You mentioned how you want to respond to God humbly. I, w- I will respond to you if you call to me humbly. I will forgive sin. Forgive sin and heal the land. And it, it really is trying to help us see the main focus of this is that God is attentive to what's going on in our hearts and our prayers. He's attentive to it. And he really emphasizes it with the last few verses. Now my eyes will be open and my ears attentive to the prayers offered in this place. I have chosen and consecrated this temple so that my name may be there forever. And my eyes and my heart will always be there. And really, if you look at the Hebrew, it's very literal in the sense of God's eyes will be wide open. Wide open to what you have to say. What's going on in your life. His ears will be wide open to you. And when you find yourself alone, you may not feel like God's hearing you, but please continue to pray because he does. He does. A lot of our prayers are in the quiet moments, not the loud moments, not when people are watching. And it's in those moments that God does true the work. He does invite you to talk with him, to commune with him, to be with him, to embrace this life with God as God. And not as someone we want him to be. And all this, as I look at it, 13 years removed, I know. But it's all in the backdrop of the temple. What did the temple mean for the people? Why did this happen after the temple? What's the significance of the temple? Because it was always this vision that it would be at the center of life. That the temple would be the focal point of worship for all the people. Sometimes our churches and Sundays are the focus of worship and sometimes not. But if you compare these things, if you go with me, it'll help us where we find ourselves. Because Moses hoped that the temple would actually be a guard against idolatry, against people feeling drawn away to different distractions, to looking to different things. That it would establish a rhythm of worship in the midst of God's people. And God would be present with his people. His name would be with them, which changes the story. It changes the possibilities that would happen to reinforce that worship matters. Not worship of how good things look or sound, but worship of the heart. But what didn't the temple do? Maybe that's what the temple was supposed to do or envisioned what it would do. But it didn't transform human hearts and minds. Even Solomon himself, if you look at the rest of his story, is drawn away from this focus, this dedicated focus on God. He is drawn away. The story is sad in the sense that he, he becomes married to all these women from foreign nations and different gods. So suddenly his life becomes about worship of many gods and not the one. And so that's why if you look at the rest of the verse, this chapter, which if you have any time today, it will be worth your while to read. But essentially he's saying that I will take back these blessings from you. I will take these things back. God's blessing still requires a response of faith. And this is not good for you if you're going to go down this way. That my, you cannot be with me in the midst of these things you want to do. It happens again and again. It's part of Solomon's story. It's part of our story. And it's not a reflection of who God is. It's not like he had a bad idea about the temple. 
being a focus of worship. No, he had something more in, more in store. But it really says a lot about who we are as people, that we fall away, that we forsake God. Imagine a biblical story where God condescends himself by coming down in the midst of his people, while at the same time reflecting his character and true desire to restore all of creation. Imagine that in this story, God would create a way through which his presence would provide forgiveness and sin and healing. Imagine that God would tell that kind of a story like he tells in the temple, in the sense that he comes down to be with his people and invites them to worship. Imagine that kind of story, and we can because it is also the Jesus story. When you see what's going on with the temple, you realize that God was trying to create a pattern of response, a pattern of seeking God humbly, calling out to him in prayer, seeking forgiveness. And then we see Jesus. God coming down from up above, walking with us, inviting us into this journey, inviting us into a repentive life and the abundant life that's only in him. It's all meant to prepare the way for Jesus, our response to Christ today and in our lives. I'd like to read Colossians 1 right now, where he says that God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, that is Christ, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. All these ideas at work and seeking God's face they translate from the temple to the tomb where we see that Christ and everything he does makes way for a resurrection life. He makes way for new possibilities for you and me, which is why it's so important that we not just respond in prayer, but know what the focus is. It is on Christ who's gone before us. It is on Christ who knows your prayers, who hears your prayers, and is praying for you, interceding upon your behalf to the Father. You know, the way Solomon dedicates this temple is honorable. It says something good, and God says it's good. But God is saying to you and me, we need to turn our eyes to Jesus. We need to dedicate ourselves to him so that we can experience true hope and that we can experience true humility, acting in our right place and treating God as God. But the problem is, and this is part of it, is that sin is in the way. I find myself every week when I come to the Lord in prayer realizing that I have a lot more to pray about than I give myself time. That, that there are things at work in my heart that I need to lay down before the Father, whether it's my expectations of how this year would go, whether it is constant struggles of sin that I battle, battled for many years and will continue to do so. What are those things for you? Because to experience the present Christ who is with you and near you and hearing you we must be willing to deal with these things. God has promised that he would forgive you. He's promised that he'll bring healing to everything going on around us. But we must deal with the sin and the pride at work, holding us back. 1 John 1 says something really incredible, which is worth always us remembering. He says, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life. This is the confidence we have in approaching God, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have what we asked of him. 
So Lord, I just invite you in this journey, these weeks, we're going to create practical ways for you to respond. But we, I, we should respond right now. So whether you sing the next song or not, I would invite you just to a time of prayer. And if singing the words helps you turn, actually turn, do that. But pray with me right now. Lord Jesus, you know where we are. You transcend distance. You transcend the distractions in our room. And your spirit speaks. It speaks to us and it calls to us. Lord, it doesn't work for someone to come up to us and say, you know, I think your life should look this way or that way. No, it's not what this is. Lord, it is the fact that you love us deeply and would not leave us into darkness and suffering and struggle. That you have invited us into a better life and an abundant life and a joyful life. And our pride, our ego, our bitterness, they are the things we need to let go. So Lord, if we are going to seek you with all of who we are, Lord, I pray that your mercy and grace would be upon us in this moment to take this journey and to trust that you are with us. Trust that you will forgive us, but also that you'll heal us. You won't just leave us broken. And I don't know what it is that we need to hear in this time and reflect on and give over to you, but you do. And I pray your spirit would move and prompt this in our hearts. Let us not leave the work undone. And let us turn our eyes to Jesus. In your name we pray, amen.